the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, as Brian loves to say. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. There, see, that's what I, I knew. <laughs> he was coming. I could see it in your eyes. I was like, here it comes. I give him 0. .4 seconds before he yells hump day into the microphone, and you did not disappoint. There are, uh, it's like you, you, when you watch The Office and they're constantly baiting Michael to say things, and you just did that there. It's, oh, it's Wednesday. I did. Like, uh, hump day. I was just listening to a podcast that was referencing The Office, and I thought about our, our interview oh, so with – Think, think Christian. Think Christian, right, yeah, about a yeah. theology of the office? Yeah, yeah. I want to have that conversation like eight more times. Oh, I could have him on weekly just to talk about it. <laughs> be like, last night I was watching The Office again. <laughs> He'll get so tired of that I intro. told you, now my kids are starting to watch The Office, so I'm getting to experience it all over again. I mean, that's like pretty awesome. 85% of the time, it's good, and then you get like the 15% of the episodes where you're like, oh, probably shouldn't be watching this. Oh, like, like inappropriate. Like a little bit, you know? But it's, it's Even for your less, eldest, like your 16-year-old? Not my oldest. She's okay. watched them all, but- uh, the younger ones, and every now and then you're like, oh, oh, but I picked the wrong one today. So. Oh, see, I wouldn't, re- I office, wouldn't remember it. Most of the time, the vast majority of the office is great, is ready to go. So, is that a formal endorsement, Brian? I will formally endorse the wow. office. Wow. Much like later, I shall endorse a beautiful day in the neighborhood with Mr. Rogers. <laughs> he got weirdly close to the microphone for that one. I'm uncomfortable. Anywho, you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. And I would say, I would encourage you to find us on Facebook. We have a lot of uh, stuff that we post there and people interact with the different stories that we have talked about or going to talk about. So if you want to like, you know, take this relationship to the next level, check Mm. us out on Facebook. Also on Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash the common good and wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you are a podcaster, any liking, subscribing, reviewing or sharing, all of that really does help us out. We're still a new show, so I appreciate all of that. But uh, we are also pastors, Mm -hmm. Brian and I. So every once in a while, and by that I mean every single day, we talk about something that relates to the church or ministry or leadership or something that kind of intersects with kind of our daily life. And uh, you found this article on Christian Today, not Christianity Today. Oh, yeah, it is. They had a real, uh, a real battle for the URL here, <laughs> I'm sure. It was very smart of them because I thought it was a Christianity Today. Oh, you did? I'm like, that doesn't look like Christianity Today. You know what? This is maybe another segment. I think it's the same font. I think that I would not doubt that at all. <laughs> I would not doubt that at all. I wonder all. if they're at odds. I wonder if we're somehow making enemies That's by doing this story at all. And the fact is they also swiped it off the Christian post. <laughs> which oh, my is... <laughs> gosh. I should start buying up domains that have the word Christian in it. There's no doubt they bought up Christian today just for when people mistype Christianity Oh, today. for sure. There's the no amount of people that, that buy domains for the possible misspelling of bigger domains. Like yeah. I think someone bought early on Google with three O's. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a couple of stories like that where people 
just jumped on it and then sold it for a billion dollars. YoTube or something? <laughs> yes, YoTube. Please we forget the U. Buy YoTube. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it's an interesting article. Have you heard of uh, Kristen and Keith Getty? Oh, of course. Uh, so he they wrote in Christ Alone. Uh, which is kind of a modern song with kind of a feeling of like an old school hymn, right? So let me just read this article because I think there are going to be people in their cars or on their podcasts right now who couldn't agree more with this this sentiment, and there are going to be other people who couldn't agree less with this sentiment. Hmm. So let me go with this. All right. Uh, Keith Getty is warning church leaders about the modern worship movement, which he describes as one of, quote, cultural relevance, and that is, quote, utterly dangerous and is contributing to de-Christianizing of God's people. Whoa. In an interview with the Christian Post, Getty said many modern worship songs focus on emotionalism rather than sound doctrine and scriptural truths. This, he said, leads to a generation ill-equipped to understand or defend the faith. An authentic generation, he writes, uh, he explained, doesn't begin with with catharsis. It has to begin with an authentic picture of the God of the Bible. Over 75% of what are called the great hymns of the faith, he said, talk about eternity, heaven, hell, and the fact that we have peace with God. Yet less than 5% of modern worship songs talk about eternity. Many worship songs are focused on this earth, Getty said. I believe that the modern modern worship movement is a movement for cultural relevance. It's de-Christianizing of God's people. It's utterly dangerous. I have no quibble saying enough is enough. This can't happen to build an authentic generation. Keith and his wife, Kristen, are passionate about fostering a, quote, reformation in worship music. They said part of our campaign is to get our generation to know the great hymns of the faith. It's not about a fascination with the time period. It's about writing music that explains the gospel and is also beautiful art. Beautiful art lasts, he said. At the end of the day, a song you sing for 50 years is more valuable than one you sing for 50 months. Oh, snap. We live in the most exciting generation to be a Christian, but it's also the most challenging generation. This idea Christian that Christianity is cool or easy is not biblical. It's a misnomer of our generation. Through music, we want to build deep believers who know and love Jesus. So we'll stop there. Okay. Uh, somebody who's got a lot of skin in the game, Keith and Kristen Giddy. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Because, um, yeah, just curious your thoughts on what they're saying here. Uh, first blush feels like a lot of hyperbole and imperatives, mm-hmm. a lot of big sweeping statements, which I guess is part of what you know you get when you're doing an interview. That's mm-hmm. understandable. I think that he has uh, a number of helpful things to speak to with regards to the maybe hyper emotionality. I'm going to play devil's advocate this whole segment because I feel like oftentimes, though, it feels like we demonize emotionality as if God is not emotive. Mm -hmm. Like read the Psalms. There's a lot of emotions mentioned, both from the posture of God's people, but also from the perspective of God himself. And I think that there's a danger when it's like these songs need to be doctrinal. Yeah. And I feel like I, you and I can both be the get-off-the-lawn guy for sure. Um, it's also tricky, though, when we talk about wanting songs to function like sermons. They're two totally different art forms. Mm. There will be moments, I think, in good poetry, good songwriting, where things may not be literally true, but it's meant to be poetry. Like, they're not meant to be courses. The other side of that, though, where I do get curmudgeonly is I, I remember hearing a song years ago where the chorus was something like, Save a place for me. Save some grace for me. Do you remember the song? Oh, I do. And I remember thinking, no, that's not how that works. That's <laughs> incorrect. Uh, so I certainly can like rail a little bit against songs that seem like theologically and doctrinally upside down. 
But there's all, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of language in the Psalms themselves where you're like, okay, I think that was meant to be more of a metaphor. That was meant to evoke something rather than to be a lecture in, you know, doctrinal clarity. And I think that's a dangerous line when we say, oh man, people are singing about the earth. That's the, that's a problem. I mean, that's a whole different eschatological argument yeah. that maybe we can talk about I later. I think when but. he says earth, I think he means we're singing about just us and our day sure. versus pointing ahead. But, he, but even some of the hymns though, yeah. like we've, you know, we do beer and hymns all the time. And so I've been kind of reliving in some of these hymns for the last three or four years. Some of the theology, some of those old hymns is pretty bad. Yeah. And, and I often wonder, so a couple of things come to mind for me from this article. One is I think there's a lot of old time hymns that also probably didn't survive. Are all the songs we sing now going to survive? No, but there's no. going to be some. You think so? I think so. Okay. I think so. And, um, you know, secondly, I do think there is there is a uh, there is a genre of song now that is uh, motive is the wrong word, but here I always joke. I've joked with people this way: if I can sing the song to my wife as easily as I can sing it to God, then I have a problem with the song. Oh, <laughs> do you have an example? No, but listen or in the secret in the quiet place. There you go. Uh, what? <laughs> in the stillness, you are there. <laughs> Would that be an example? <laughs> that was a great one off the top of your head. That was really good. But listen to songs, whether on the radio or uh, sometimes you sing them in church. Like I think those are problematic. But I, I do, I do struggle with the painting with a broad brush that every old song's great and every new song is bad. Um, but there is a reason old hymns have survived. And so, um, what do you believe even they mean by the modern worship movement? Is that just new songs in church, or is this the whole concept of like? concerts and cd I, I oh it probably encapsulates all okay. of that and that could be a whole other segment to be honest because yeah. it's a little tricky for me i understand the business of touring and paying salaries mm-hmm. um but ticket prices for worship concerts even just that sentence is a little <laughs> tough for me to totally wrap my brain around and maybe we're just too old for this discussion yeah that's certainly possible so except we're not because we are like you said we're both pastors who that's have, true who have some say within our churches as to what songs get sung. That's very uh, true. And there is still something that I love. You know, I'm I'm like to I'll be the first to say that when we pull out an old hymn, I love it. Um but uh I think there's some more nuance than what goes on in this article here. Well yeah and I feel like that's how we end most segments. Yeah. Like, well that was only nine minutes. <laughs> there's more nuance. We'd love to know what you think. Yeah. What is sort of your posture with the modern worship movement and uh, how can we be better going forward? Well, coming up next we're gonna talk to both a politician and a college president. I'm going to keep it a secret until we reveal who this person is. That's coming up next, though. You're not going to miss it here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the place on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, or wherever it is you get your podcast. If you are a podcaster, liking, subscribing, and reviewing does somehow magically help us, and I still have no idea how or why, <laughs> but, but we does. just know that it does. So please, if you would, that would help us a lot. And we mention this a lot, but I think maybe... Both of our favorite parts of the show is actually having in-studio guests because mm-hmm. we just get to hear interesting stories and perspectives. It's been really educational even for me to get to engage with different people. And so today we have in the studio, in the flesh, Kurt Dykstra. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thank you. Great to be here. Our pleasure. One of the things we've been doing is letting guests, rather than me just sort of read a bio, sure. is to let you introduce yourself first to our Common Good audience in whatever fashion you see sure. fit. <laughs> well, I'll keep it simple. Uh, my name's Kurt Dykstra. I'm the president of Trinity Christian College, which is on the south side of the Chicago land area. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, been there about five years. Before that, uh, was mayor of uh, the city of Holland, Michigan. Uh, ran a bank for a bit. Was practicing law for a while. Wow. Teaching part time and raising a family. Yeah, that's and incredible. You've done all sorts of well, different things. You know, I feel, I feel very underaccomplished yeah, at this point. Jack pastor, of all trades. Pastor, pastor radio guy. Pastor yeah. radio guy. Uh, yeah, Kurt, I'm curious. Uh, let's start with Trinity, sure. where you're at right now, um, down in Palos. I'm curious. Uh, paint a picture of Trinity for people who yeah. may not know it. Describe it as uh, what kind of college. Yep. Describe Trinity a little bit for us. You bet. So when we say Trinity, most people immediately think of Trinity and Deerfield, exactly. right? which is the better known of the two. Uh, we've been around mm. for 60 years. Uh, we're wow. a traditional liberal arts college. We have uh, about 1,200 students all told, uh, mostly 18 to 22-year-old students, but uh, an adult degree completion program as well as a graduate program as mm. well. Uh, everything from business, psychology, Nursing, we've got a really outstanding science program, obviously theology, Bible, those sorts of things as well. But we're a Christian liberal arts place, so we take seriously what it means to be Christians in every aspect of life, Uh, not just for a couple hours on Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. but uh, what that means on Tuesday at the job, what it means about living in a community, uh, you know, what it means about how we view the world and how we interact with it. So that sounds a lot like my alma mater, which is Judson University yeah. in Elgin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. you just said is stuff that I've exactly. we were good friends of the university. Yeah. And I get you know I get back there to speak every once in a while. What what are some of the challenges right now facing sure. yeah. specifically Christian higher education? Yeah, so I'll, I'll sort of answer that in a variety of ways. One is, I mean, overall higher ed is an interesting spot. Uh-huh. Uh, demographically, we see uh, fewer numbers of high school graduates uh, wow. uh, today. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and in twenty twenty five, we're going to see a huge drop off. So that's nationwide. Hmm. Uh, the upper Midwest is the worst region, uh, along with New England, no uh, to see that happen. And the absolute worst place in the upper Midwest is our fair state of, of Illinois here. Wow. Really? Um, you know, it's a combination of the you know budget challenges we've seen, mm-hmm. uh, overall governance things, and I think the uniquely located uh, city of Chicago, which is sandwiched between Wisconsin and Indiana, mm-hmm. so people can you know cross the border and still enjoy Chicago. That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, so that's you know that that's the context we find ourselves in. Christian education, in particular. I think is even more challenged because typically these schools tend to be, you know, have less fewer financial resources, mm-hmm. less uh, smaller endowments. Uh, but, you know, there's also just this um, uh, you know, issues or, or uh, fraying of loyalties toward denominational mm-hmm. affiliation. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, families that that say, you know, we, we think Christian education is good, but we also want. Uh, quality education for our sons and yeah. daughters. Mm-hmm. And in some people's minds, those two don't necessarily always connect. Mm. Um, now, I can talk against that in a whole host of ways. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll throw the stats down yeah. with anybody. Uh, but, uh, but no, I think that there's this idea that somehow Christian education might at some level be good for faith development, not mm-hmm. quite as good for academic preparation or career preparation. And part, frankly, of what we're trying to do at the college is change that perception and mm. say, you know what, you don't actually lose anything by coming to a place like Trinity. Uh, actually, you gain substantially yeah, more right than, on. than you yeah. lose. Yeah. So like Ian, I'm also uh, he, I went to Wheaton College. Sure. So big yep. fan of uh, Christian liberal arts colleges. And so uh, but I also have a daughter who is a sophomore in high school. Yep. So we're starting just it terrifies me, but we're starting to see college down the horizon. Uh, so I am a believer in the Christian college, but I would be curious, how would you answer that question? You did it really well to say there are uh, both, there are benefits to the Christian college. What would some of those benefits be? Yeah, well, first of all, we, you know, we educate whole people. And uh, mm-hmm. so I think probably a lot of your listeners are familiar with uh, New York Times columnist David Brooks. Mm-hmm. So Brooks was writing a book a few years ago, and in this process, he discovered uh, Christian higher ed. He had never really been a part of it. He's a U of Chicago grad. Okay. You grew up in New York, obviously, uh, you know, living, working for the New York Times, um, different sort of context than mm-hmm. a typical Christian college sort of person. 
Well, he discovered these places, and, and in a marvelous uh, address he gave to a bunch of Christian college presidents, said, essentially, you all are doing things that nobody else educationally is doing in the country. You're wow. educating whole, per- uh, whole persons, and uh, we're avant-garde of what's happening in terms of education, and uh, we're, we're on the cutting edge of, of trying to change culture and really impact the world. Wow. Um, so, I mean, you know, from a stat standpoint, you know, 96% placement rating. Wow. Uh, we have the second best nursing program in the state of Illinois. No kidding. Um, you know, 100% placement into med school. So, I mean, quality-wise, I'll, again, I'll, I'll line up go. the stats against anybody. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But we're all also seeing our students be impacted for what they do outside of the work life, outside mm-hmm. of the class mm-hmm. life. And, uh, you know, we want our students, our graduates, uh, to be twofold. Prepared, one, for the appointments they don't know about yet. So mm-hmm. who knows what the world brings to us? We want them to be prepared to think critically and communicate mm-hmm. well and navigate the world. But we also want them to impact the world. Yeah, and, right. and it's, you know, life in church, it's life in communities, it's how do you view the world in which we find ourselves yeah. and how do you make a difference in it. Okay, so I want to talk to you a little bit about debt. I was listening to a podcast on the drive up here in preparation for this, and a couple of the statistics that kind of baffled my mind. Now that you know the national student debt is in the trillions, one point two trillion, something like that. Something. The thing that really bothered me was the number of students who default within the first five years, and how often there are people who had loans that didn't complete their program in the first place, so maybe they're less employable. Can you speak a little bit in your position Mm, and kind of some of the student debt crisis that we're facing right now? It is a big deal, and I will say as instant. As Christian institutions, as a segment, we have by far the lowest uh, debt uh, uh, default rates of any segment of higher education. Wow. wow. Um, you know, very, very low. We, as an institution, fall right with squarely within those uh, broader industry numbers for Christian colleges. Hmm. Um, so I think our students, by and large, again, because of the kind of education that we yeah. offer, they take seriously the... You know, the, the fact that uh, this is not, you don't just take this stuff out on a whim. Mm. Secondly, we care as an institution pretty deeply about the, the debt load that our students have. Uh, you know, I, it does me no good as a college president right. to have our graduates go out there with unsustainable level, levels of debt. Of course. I had college debt when I graduated. Um, you know, I wouldn't be able to do what I do but for the fact of being in college. And I think mm. that uh, like any good investment, there's a cost associated with it. But the key is managing how much and making sure that you're using uh, debt to the extent you're using it wisely. That's smart. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a really um, it's it's a big issue nationally. Mm-hmm. It's something we care a lot about, yeah. and we've uh, done I think a pretty good job of holding the line on uh, the debt load that our our students carry as they they leave the college. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So as I said, I'm, I've got a, a daughter who's going to be looking at colleges here right. soon, and I'm curious. Uh, you said a lot of uh, high school students aren't going right into college, which was very different, right? When we, when at least when I went to college, we all went straight to college right, out of high right. school. Yep. Do you think that's a good thing? Is that a good thing that's happening mm. within our culture, yeah. or do you see that as uh, there's a problem with that? I think you know, for the right student, uh, taking that gap year experience is a good thing. Yeah. Um, I think what we're also seeing is there are just fewer high school graduates. Oh. Um, so I've got a daughter, actually, who is a senior in okay. high school this year. So we're knee-deep in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, you are. So two daughters, one who's a senior, actually, at Trinity, and one who's a senior in high school. And in four wow. years, the difference that I have witnessed no kidding. in how they're recruited, who they're being recruited by, just the, the changing nature of higher education wow. has been pretty remarkable. But we are seeing increased number of students saying, you know what, uh, picking a college, going to college is a pretty big uh, decision for a whole host of reasons, not yeah. the least of which is financial. Right. Uh, let's make sure that we pick well, choose well. And for some students saying, you know what, let me go see bits and pieces of the world. Let right. me go do some other things to yeah. better understand what really motivates and gives me passion and what, what I'm called to do. That's right. 
Uh, that's a great choice for many Absolutely. students. That's well said. Well, that third voice you're hearing is Kurt Dykstra, the eighth, is that right? Eighth, eighth president yes. of yes. Trinity Christian College in Chicago. He's going to stick around with us for one more segment. we got all sorts of questions, and maybe you do too, about college, high education, Christians in the workforce, all that stuff. We're just going to fire them all at you at the same time, <laughs> Perfect. and you just get to pick. That's all coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us by Googling us. I'm not going to go through all that again. <laughs> but we have in the studio Kurt Dykstra, the eighth president of Trinity Christian College, talking all things college, specifically Christian higher ed, of which Brian and I are both actually very grateful recipients. Absolutely. Oh, me too. You were mentioning during the break yep. this idea of the ESPN effect. Yeah. I would love for you to talk about that a little more. Sure. So, um, so I've got a daughter who's a senior in high school. Right. And so I think any parent of a junior, senior in high school, we are all collectively keeping the U.S. Post Office in business every day, right? And it has been shocking to see, even in the four-year difference between our two girls, um, the difference that we've seen. I mean, the kinds Mm. of schools and the number of schools that are coming after our daughter, Emma, is just amazing. Mm. Yes, local ones, absolutely. Us, direct competitors of Trinity, yes. But Kentucky, Kansas, Clemson, Alabama, you know, all schools from across the country. And what we uh, what becomes alluring, I think, for a lot of students is if you watch college game day or you Mm -hmm. watch anything on ESPN, that is a certain kind of fun that you just can't replicate at many places. And and surely not at a school like ours. You know, ESPN, I don't think, has shown up on Trinity's campus. (laughs) Although although we did we did have our mascot, the troll, uh, as uh, one of ESPN's top uh, most unique mascots. So we made that list. The trolls. (laughs) Right. But, uh, you know, so I think for a lot of students, it becomes a pretty alluring thing to say, let me go to a big place where I can have that kind of fun. Mm. Uh, now, as a parent of a daughter, I mean, that's not something I'm interested in, at least. Uh, but also, I just think that the kind of educational experience that uh, surely at a, at a large school, large state school, large private university, you can have great experiences. I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. that you can't. But for me, a graduate of a small uh, Christian liberal arts college and then went to grad school at a larger place, I would not be who I am today without the kind of mentoring, shaping the people who've invested yes. deeply into my mm, life, faculty, same. staff, Absolutely. campus ministry folks. Uh, and, and I'm seeing that in the lives of our students. So I think you can get the best of both. Uh, but in reality, for, for a lot of our kids who've been raised in media, uh, I'm watching media, seeing media, being mm-hmm. a part of it. It's a pretty alluring thing yeah, to absolutely. say, wow, I want to be a part of something you know, big and exciting right. like you see on yeah. a Saturday. So someone like myself, who's got a daughter, like we're about to enter into this for the first time. Sure. She's our oldest daughter. And uh, how would you, what are some pieces of, of advice you'd give to somebody like me so it doesn't become overwhelming and you feel like you make a good choice with yep. your daughter? Well, come to Trinity. <laughs> no, uh, there we go. Talk, talk to me about, one. Yeah. Talk uh, about scholarships. Yeah, we can talk. No. Uh, I think the best thing you can do is uh, is visit places that seem interesting. Okay. Uh, you know, because let's be honest, a- after a while, all of these brochures that we all send out look alike. You know, yeah, right. Like, oh, here's the laboratory <laughs> picture. Jack uh, oh, here's the athletics photo. Fantastic. Right, yeah. right. My personal favorite of of course, is the group of happy students walking through Treeline Campus. <laughs> always. Um, always. But you show up on a campus, you spend half a day or a day there, uh, you can't fake it. You're going to get a sense as to yeah. what the place is like. Hmm. Uh, so that is, is really important. And maybe you, what you do, especially if it's your first and, and you don't quite know what kind of place they want to be at, hmm. visit different types of schools. Oh, that's good. So one thing we did with our second daughter is we took her up to, a, uh, to my graduate alma mater and uh, bigger uh, Big East school. 
And, um, you know, she discovered pretty early on that, you know what, love the place, but said, you know what, Dad, I think I want two things. I want to be able to see if I can play a sport in college. Mm. She's not a big East athlete. Uh, and she said, you know, I want a place that has a really robust campus ministries program. And mm. this place wasn't that place either. So mm. she quickly discovered by being on campus and talking with people that, you know what, neat place, not for me. Yeah, I, yeah. Good for her. So you can't, you can't, do, you can't go wrong by... Uh, by visiting schools. Awesome. So I love what you were saying earlier about the, kind of the mentor relationship, yes. especially as a result of smaller campuses. Typically, whenever I say I was talking to a mentor, 98% of the time I'm talking about somebody from Judson. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's just, right. and I have the benefit of still being geographically close to yep. it. But what are some of the other benefits that you've seen now in your position, your experience of a university experience like the one that you offer? Yeah. So I, I think that the mentorship is absolutely huge, but it's also mentorship, yes, in developing uh, adult character and Christian character, yes, mm-hmm. but it's also in helping. So I was a first-gen college student, and my yeah, parents same. were hugely supportive. Mm-hmm. They expected me to go to college, and they were great, um, but they didn't always, you know, they, they hadn't been there, so they didn't know the ins and outs. Right. Um, so what I experienced also at my alma mater was the opportunity to have people speak into, uh, you know, Kurt, you should really think about this, and, mm. and maybe the, the this was a little bit different or uh, setting the heights higher, if you will. Yeah. Um, and we see that with our faculty, too. I mean, I think uh, sometimes our students will come in and they're a whole lot better, more talented, uh, smarter, more ambitious than what they give themselves credit for. Yeah. And part of our job is to say, look, if, if you want to do what you were thinking, that's fantastic. You're called to that. Absolutely wonderful. But what about this? Yeah. Think about this. Yeah. Um, so that's one area that, that a school like ours brings in. And frankly, um, just the opportunity for small class sizes, yes, uh, yeah. especially uh, there's this video from a couple of years ago. A kid was uh, standing on one side of a huge lecture hall, two story, uh, takes a piece of paper, crinkles it up, throws it across the room and makes a basket and the room goes crazy. Well, the backstory is that was uh, in, at Ohio State and the prof every year said, OK, one student gets to crumple up the paper, throw it across. And if he makes the basket in the trash can, uh, everybody passes that first quiz. <laughs> there had to be 250 to 300 people yeah. on there. In the class was organic chemistry. <laughs> now, if you have ever talked yes. to a physician or someone who right. thought they would be a physician, organic chem is the class that separates the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, and I can't imagine trying to take a class like that True. in that sort of setting. Yeah. Our size uh, class for organic chem was 25. Yeah. Yeah, you know, right. You know, yeah. And so you, you just get faculty who can speak in, who know you, and then when it com- comes time for uh, graduate references, they actually can talk about what you do. Yeah. And the third thing, and maybe you know, uh, I could talk more about this, but is that uh, our students have opportunity for doing things like independent research. So mm, they build a portfolio, right. whether they're artists, whether they're scientists, whether they're psychology majors, they leave mm. having had the opportunity to do research with faculty members, um, and that builds their own portfolio moving yeah. forward. That sounds really important. I'm also curious. I know some of my favorite times at Wheaton were things that didn't involve the classroom. Like in the summertime, I went to Wheaton in the Holy Lands and spent right. a month and a half over there. I thought Wheaton was the Holy Lands. Is that not? <laughs> uh, Shh. In, yeah. uh, <laughs> I got a lot to say. Yeah, yes. I know you do. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to insult our, uh, our, our guest here, but uh, I'm curious. Uh, what would you encourage students and parents when it comes to internships, when it comes to summer abroad yep. or a semester abroad? How does that fit into kind of the college experience for you? Yeah. So uh, we care an awful lot about that experiential, uh, especially the internship piece. Mm-hmm. So we actually require all of our students in every major to have an internship before graduating, oh. which is a little bit unique for, yeah. for schools because we mm. think that what happens in the classroom is important, but it really becomes important applied in the in the outside world. That's mm. right. Um, so. 
I think internships are vital, mm-hmm. absolutely vital. And, and whether you're a business person or whether you're an English literature person, yeah. somehow having that connectedness is a really important piece. Mm. Uh, study abroad, you can't go wrong. Mm. Um, and we offer a variety of programs, and almost every school does as well. Um, what we're seeing actually is more students doing that over summertime. Oh, interesting. Or doing a month and a half or so right mm-hmm. after the, the May term ends. Uh, because, uh, you know, so many programs are so jam-packed uh, in terms of be getting done in four years or less yeah. that they can't take a semester and go somewhere. Yeah. Uh, right. So we're seeing summer trips. We're seeing, you know, month-long trips, really intensive. Um, and, and that's a, a very important piece, I think, for mm. students to have the opportunity to do. For us being in the Chicago area, it's, uh, you know, we have this wonderful campus, you know, second safest campus in the state of Illinois. But all of a sudden, right at our doorstep, we have this extended campus of Chicago. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, if there's a concert or a speaker series, they're coming to Chicago. Yes, right. You know, major sports, major culture, all those kinds of things. Um, it just presents really great opportunities for our students to broaden their world half an hour from where they Absolutely. sleep. Absolutely. No kidding. Kurt, this has been fantastic. Before Absolutely. we go, would you just let people know where they can learn more yeah. if they're interested in sure. finding out more? So the best spot, uh, you can find us on you know, all the social media stuff, but the easiest thing to do is go to the website trnty.edu. There's so many trinities out there. Exactly. We had to sort of <laughs> trnty.edu or if you, social media might be easier to do something like uh, Twitter or uh, Instagram at Kurt Dykstra, K-U-R-T D-Y-K-S-T-R-A in that You'll, you'll find lots we'll of find stuff about the college Outstanding. there. Outstanding. Kurt Dykstra, college so president of Trinity Christian College in Chicago. Thank you so much for joining Thank us on the show. Gentlemen. Please come back sometime. We oh, love that. Absolutely. Love it. I had a great time. Outstanding. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over whatever the magical thing that the internet actually is. I don't understand it. Mm-mm. You don't understand it. Mm-mm. It's probably black magic. It's like magic. the Matrix. I didn't understand the Matrix the first time I saw it either. I just heard someone in a conversation yesterday say, oh, man, he totally red-pilled me. Ah, nice. I was like, is that a thing people are saying? Yeah. The red pill being like having your eyes open to the matrix, right? Right. I think so, yeah, because you have the red and the blue, and you can decide which one you wanted. But the uh, uh, my wife and I were dating when the matrix came out, and uh, we went to go see it, and uh, she wanted to. We left halfway through. No, that is a true statement. Have you not seen it yet? Brian, from I am not sure I've ever se- I've seen it. I've probably seen all of the part. You know what I mean? Like when you've stopped on a movie enough to like. I'm not sure I've ever seen The Matrix from the start to the finish straight in Can one you sitting. please? I know that I keep doing this Another too. list of things. The, you need to see The Matrix what was front it? to back. Oh, was it the Kanye West album the other day? Somebody came up to me and was like, have you listened to the Kanye West album yet? And I was like, no. It's so they're short, like, you, Brian. They're like, you said you would on the radio. I, was ah! like, oh. I love that there's no like audio documentation. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, guilty. That's me. Oh, man. All right. You need to watch The Matrix. Though. The graphics won't hold up. You'll be embarrassed by that, I yep. think. But yep. either way. Right, speaking of movies. <laughs> Segway. That's how was that? I love writing segues. That's... <laughs> That's professional. Take us away. Hey, yeah, I wanted to tell you about a movie that's coming out on November the 22nd. It's the new Mr. Rogers movie called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I had the opportunity to go see it. Uh, and he did see it. And I did see it. He had it. both the opportunity and the <laughs> and execution. The execution. <laughs> and I went and saw that movie and was like, I don't know. I wasn't a big Mr. Rogers fan growing up. Like, I Not that I wasn't a fan. I just didn't watch him very much. I was like, oh, I do you hope- hate Mr. Rogers? No, I loved him. <laughs> 
uh, but I just didn't watch them a ton. And uh, but I really liked this movie. In fact, it's it has less to do with Mister Rogers and more to do with a reporter who is writing a story about Mister Rogers and the effect that Mister Rogers had on him. Tom Hanks plays uh, Fred Rogers. Opens in theaters November twenty second. I'm going to take my family because I know they will enjoy it. I would encourage you to do likewise. That was a really good endorsement. Thank you. You think you'll go? Oh, yeah, most certainly. Over the holidays, something does sound nice about, like, yeah, a couple days off. Like, Well, not for you. You got little kids. That'd be a, ter- that'd be a nightmare. I say, you, my get kids? Day, you get days off? <laughs> it's called Thanksgiving. Tell me more. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. You mean Brown Thursday? <laughs> That's another thing I'm going to have to rant on at some point. I saw Brown Thursday advertisements for, like, sales at big box stores. That's a thing? Oh, I, I don't know. That I didn't even know what thing. you were saying until I was like, oh, wait, Black Friday. Uh, yep. I saw the ad and I almost threw my computer out the window. I'm like, mm. come on down for our Brown Thursday sales. I was like, nope, that day already has a name. <laughs> and it's quite literally about being thankful for what we already have. <laughs> not, were, I'm sorry, I'm starting to yell. I'm you're getting, changing the name and missing brown, the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Both things. Uh, all That's right, so funny. I'm going to read a little bit of this article because it. it's really sweet. I'm not going to read the headline because it kind of gives it away a little bit. Uh, I'm giving you too much information. I'm just going to do the thing. Just do it. Uh, You should always support your kids and their natural talents. And if you nurture them, great things will happen. That's not always true. But (laughs) (laughs) if bomb making is there. Yeah, right. I want to mitigate your expectations here. Um, That's what nine-year-old Joe Wales' parents thought when they encouraged their son to keep drawing, even though he got into trouble for doodling during class. Were you a doodler, by the way? I most certainly was. I don't think I was. Oh, couldn't stop. Doodled on everything. Envelopes, backs of notes, whatever. Uh, They sent Joe to an after-school art class, uh, and his artistic abilities were quickly noticed by those around him. In fact, Joe was invited to decorate the dining room of the number four restaurant in Shrewsbury, England. Now, Joe is known as the Doodle Boy and has his own website as well as a social media page showing off his awesome art. And so there's photos on the actual article that's on our Facebook page that you can see more. But essentially, and I don't need to belabor the actual story, here's a kid who I imagine was a little distracted in class mm-hmm. and because he was distracted he was doodling and you almost can't blame the teachers right they were kind of getting on him for doodling in class his parents rather than doing what a lot of us would do which is sort of just reprimand him you know or tell him mm-hmm. to fall in line mm-hmm. or tell him to kind of behave they saw that he was actually pretty good at it invested in his artistic ability and the photos are amazing because at this restaurant really good. he they just sort of give him this wall and it's this little nine-year-old kid they're like all right man here's a wall here's a marker just go to town and he like he just fills this whole wall with these random doodles and it is worth saying he's really really good yeah but i just love i love the sentiment of the story of like the obvious thing for a lot of parents to do that would be like hey you i really need you to behave and you should fall in line and what they do is less obvious they go wait a minute you have some real skill here what if we kind of fostered this and fan the flame a little bit and i just to me this, there was all sorts of layers to this as parents as pastors as leaders like how 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 can this story kind of yeah. you know, apply to us in our own context i just love this paragraph before i do his last name's whale there's so many chances for the middle name there right like mm-hmm. blue whale uh-huh something, i don't know <laughs> i love this uh sentence in this article it says when their kids get into trouble for something at school some parents tend to shut that behavior down right However, others know how to recognize a talent that needs creative space to flourish, so they give them what they need. For me, a lot of this has to do with we put kids into boxes, right? Like uh, 
or everybody, and we say this is exactly how every kid should be. Because like you said, he was probably getting reprimanded in school for doodling, for not paying attention. Uh, but it says Joe's teacher recognized his talent, posted on Instagram, caught the eye of the restaurant. Now his dad drives them there so he can draw his heart out. Who knew that drawing in an after-school class program would lead Joe to his first job at barely nine years old? And I do think there's something in here about people who have talents or interests that aren't um, – they don't necessarily fall in line with what most kids or most people uh, would do. There, there's probably still a way not to monetize it necessarily but to build into them and say, no, that's not abnormal. Your doodling or your whatever is not uh, a deficiency about you. It's a uh, – it's not even necessarily – it's not even a quirk. It's just who you are. How can we grow you? How can we build into? How can we encourage you? I just right. really, I really like the way the posture, especially the parents, have taken uh, towards their kid here. Which is uh, again way easier said than done. Yeah. You know, I come from a homeschool environment, so I'm the recipient of some educational flexibility mm-hmm. that was afforded to us because of our homeschool environment. Like my, you know, my brother severely dyslexic, mm-hmm. and. Every expert told our parents that had he just been in a public school system, he likely would have just kind of gotten steamrolled, not because it was public or private school, but just because out of 30 kids, it would have been hard to. So my mom figured out that he was a kinesthetic learner. I think I've talked about this before. Got a tray with sand so he could feel the letters through his fingertips and it like unlocked his ability to understand language. He's working on his fourth language now. Like he just is, he just gets language. Wow. And, but. I, that wouldn't have happened though if he was just you know one of thirty kids that was kind of told just to fall in line. And I think if I think it was Albert Einstein, he said something like, "He said every kid is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its entire life thinking it's stupid." Mm. You know, like kind of. I, the, I think the sentiment there is like some people learn yeah. and execute this way, but other kids are going to learn and execute in different ways. And to create spaces where they can actually express how they're wired, like this kid. It's hard to do for each individual kid, but I think it is kind of a lot of the pressures on the parents. Like, all right, how do we actually tap yep. into how my kid best learns and how they best express those things? And that takes a lot of patience. And not always just buying into what the social norms necessarily are. This is what your kid should be. I remember yes, right. a kid growing up uh, in high school. Uh, I think that's when it was. And he was like really bad at school. He was not motivated, all this stuff. The parents were going to kind of go crazy. And then they figured out he was like brilliant with cars. Right. And now he, you know, he once they unlocked this whole auto mechanic side of him and allowed him to build into that, uh-huh. he was like excelling and part of that school. Right. And like just this, it unlocks something in him that normal school wasn't going to do. I think there's a great lesson here to kind of watching for what your kid, particular kid, is passionate about rather than what you think they should be doing or should be passionate about. And the should stuff is so tricky because we're yep. all bringing ideas of the should. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes without even knowing it, yeah. right? Like even, you know, I'm still kind of new to the whole parenting thing. I'm amazed at how many things into my parenting. I'm like, why do I feel like that's the way I should yeah. do it? Like, yeah. Oh, that's what I saw. That's what I, and that doesn't make that right or wrong. That's just sort of the, uh, that's the frame of reference that you bring with it. So whether it's leading or teaching or parenting or any of those things, like having the patience and the courage to really lean in and ask, okay, how does my kid or this person best learn and how can we kind of tap into that yeah well we got a whole lot coming up this second hour i'm not going to tease it out a whole lot more than that but you're not going to miss it got a whole other half of the show coming up next here on the common good on am 1160 hope you're like
It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. If you'd like to learn more, if you're just not satisfied with just simply hearing us right here, right now, there's a couple places you can go. You can go to Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, and there we post almost every article or story we talk about. We'd love for you to weigh in. Sometimes we'll even revisit a story based on the comments that you all leave. So all that engagement is actually really, really helpful for us. Plus, if you have suggestions for stories or articles, you can post them there and say, hey, why have I never heard you guys mm-hmm. talk about this thing, dummies? You guys should talk about this immediately. We are open to all those suggestions. Plus, we're on Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash the common good. And wherever it is, you get your podcast. If you are a podcaster, thank you so much. Any likes, subscribes, or reviews uh, does really help us out. We're a new show still. And if you would share it with a friend or a family member or or maybe just a total stranger, hit that share button. <laughs> Stop them on the road. Or, yeah, hit the share button, pick a number at random. <laughs> Type it on in and uh, just say, hey, you should listen to these guys. And they say, uh, this is the wrong number. And you go, no, no, no. no, I meant to send this to you specifically. Why are you calling me right now? <laughs> Don't call them. Just send the text. Calling is just weird. The, yeah, that's the weird part but of the story. But a random podcast text, that's perfectly orthodox. That's, <laughs> that's the weird part of the story. That's right in line with my missiology. Uh, uh, all right. So here's – let me just read the headline because the headline actually packs a punch and then we're going to take a deeper dive. So Pope Francis – You've heard of him. I have. <laughs> never Pope. never met him, but I've heard of him. Oh, you haven't? Nope. What a guy. Missed him when he came through the area. Real sweetheart, <laughs> man. You would, you would love him. Pope Francis on prison systems. We will be judged on this. Hmm. What's going on here? Yeah, he visiting the uh, imprisoned, he said, is an act of mercy that has implications for all Christians and not just those involved in prison ministry. Hmm. Speaking November the 8th to participants at an international meeting of national and regional directors of Catholic prison ministries... Uh, Pope Francis urged greater efforts to reform prison systems, address the root causes of crime, and ensure acceptance uh, and reintegration once a person completes his or her sentence. So we could stop there. Huh. Uh, I think he, uh, what he's saying really um, is somewhat revolutionary, but I think is really important. That what is the purpose of prison? Is it is it just retribution? Is it just punishment? Or is it uh, reformation is it to reform somebody so that they can then be a uh, productive part of society uh, and um, is there potential within the prison system or is it all just kind of lock those bad people away uh, and uh, it's interesting it says while not arguing against all prison sentences Pope Francis urged Catholics to reflect on sentencing guidelines and the motivations behind them to ensure they do not prov- promote, quote, a throwaway oh, man. culture. I wow. think he's really on to something here. And and I think uh, we as a people and, and the church could lead the cause here needs to really rethink what is the purpose of things like prison? What is what is the goal when it comes to prison? And I think Pope Francis is making some really valuable points here. All right, let me just read a little more because yeah. I think it's not a long article. I would encourage you to go read it. I've shared it with a couple of my friends who are actually involved in prison ministries, oh, really? and all of them have said, uh, yeah, amen. This Crazy. is this is a conversation we need to have. 
Uh, Many times, he said, societies in a supposed search for good and for security seek the isolation and imprisonment of those who act against social norms, believing that locking them up is the ultimate solution to the problem of community life. In that way, he said, people think it is justified that large amounts of public resources are destined to repress offenders instead of truly seeking to promote the integral development of people, which reduces the circumstances that favor committing illegal acts. Mm. So he's kind of going after what maybe we would call in the show systemic injustices, right? So somebody robs a bank, they, mm-hmm. they go to prison, right? So I, I don't think anyone's really challenging, at least at that level, like, okay, you did wrong. There should be some kind of retribution, restitution. Something needs to happen there. Part of what he's saying is what are the societal systems and structures that are leading to mm-hmm. the, the kind of undeniable benefit in certain people's eyes that favor committing illegal acts? And then to me, this is like, the linchpin for the whole article. He says, it's easier to repress than to educate. Mm. And I would say it's more comfortable too. He goes on to say, denying the injustice present in society and creating these spaces to put offenders is easier than offering equal development opportunities to all citizens. So good. Which is probably why a number of people, maybe politically and religiously, have some issues with him, right? I think of, uh, I can't remember who it, who it was now, but it was some religious leader. And he said, um, when I fed the poor, they called me a saint. When I asked why there are, why we have the poor, they called me a communist. <laughs> so like the the one to one people are like yeah we'll applaud and we're like man the people they're loving the homeless or they're loving yeah. the prisoner. When someone steps back and says okay there might, we might have an infrastructure problem here, yeah. that's when everyone kind of tends to get a little uneasy. It seems. Yeah. He goes on to say the aim of a prison sentence should be to educate and prepare people to return eventually to society as law abiding and contributing citizens. But that often is not the case because of a lack of resources to address the social, psychological and family problems experienced by detainees. And I would challenge people. I don't know that everybody would agree with that sentence, that the aim of a prison sentence should Mm -hmm. be to educate and prepare people to return. I think a lot of people would say the aim of a prison sentence should be to punish people for what they have done. And but Mm. when if you're just want the safety of society, if people are going to be leaving prisons and coming back to society, we should be going. How can we make it less likely that people are going to end up going back? Like right now, the recidivism rate is so high. And so that speaks to a broken system. And so uh, just for the safety of society, let alone the good of people, we should be saying, how do we best have people spend their time in prison so that when they come out, yeah. they are less likely to end up back in there. Well, okay, let me just read a little more because I think he's yep. I think he's really onto something. He says, uh, you cannot talk about paying a debt to society from a jail cell without windows, Pope Francis said. There is no humane punishment without a horizon. No one can change their life if they don't see a horizon. And so many times we are used to blocking the view of our inmates. Take the image of the windows and the horizon, the Pope told the prison ministers, and ensure that in your countries, the prisons always have a window and a horizon, even a life sentence, which for me is questionable. Even a life sentence would have to have a horizon. He goes on to say, often when leaving prison, the person finds himself in a world that is alien to him and that does not recognize him as trustworthy, even excluding him from the possibility of working to obtain a decent livelihood. Mm -hmm. By preventing people from regaining the full exercise of their dignity, they are exposed again to the lack of opportunity that often contributed to their committing a crime in the first place. That'll preach. And I have to say, like, I'm torn because so much of me wants to cheer. And then I'm left with this sort of sinking feeling like, what 
can I do? Yeah. Like we, so I've talked a lot about, you know, community freedom, our effort to plant prisons. We, we actually, at the end of the month, we're launching both in Joliet and in Aurora wow. to partner with these prisons to plant churches in prisons to actually care for people while they're in prison and to, you yep. know, hopefully help them once they're released. Well, coming up next, here's the headline. It says, trauma is not your fault, but healing is your responsibility. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. I don't know why I said that so dramatically just then. (laughs) It was like I forgot for a brief moment, who am I? Very existential of you. (laughs) You have have no idea. I have told you about the time that I met a woman, and I told her my name was Ian, and she said, oh, do you mean Ethan? (laughs) And I was like, "Mm, no, I usually get my first name right. I don't (laughs) know. <laughs> not always. I'd I love to know what was going through her mind <laughs> at that moment. Like, no, let me correct you on your name. And I know that I'm not the brightest crayon in the box, but uh, it was sort of this like, oh, dear, do you mean Ethan? It would still be totally not appropriate, but I could even see if she was like, do you mean Ian? Like, it's the same. <laughs> she literally changed your name. What I wish I would have done was act like I actually did get it wrong. Like, oh, my gosh, it is Ethan. Did Thank I do you it so again? Much. Holy cow. <laughs> you are a godsend. Thank you so much for helping me out. I shouldn't be out in public anymore. Oh, me again. Oh, gosh. Oh, me. Whoever I am. Maybe it's oh Ivan. <laughs> anyway, you can find us and our wacky antics on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. All the previous shows are there, by the way. People will regularly ask, like, hey, where I missed. Yep. I caught the tail end of this or whatever. Not only are the shows there. But our producer, John, PJ, producer John. Way to go, PJ. He does a really good job of creating descriptors for mm-hmm. each segment. So if you go to the website and you'll see like a pretty detailed, not only a description, but like links to articles we reference and all that. So it's all right there. If you missed a segment or you want to rehear one or you came in halfway, uh, that's a great resource for anyone who is interested. And uh, I read just the headline. And this is kind of in line with subject matter we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a really interesting perspective. It says trauma is not your fault. But healing is your responsibility. Why don't you get us into this? Yeah, it's an interesting concept. Uh, The author, Brianna Wiest, writes, what happened to you was not your fault. It was not something you asked for. It was not something you deserved. What happened to you was not fair. You were merely collateral damage on someone else's warpath, an innocent bystander who got wrecked out by proximity. We are all traumatized by life, some of us from egregious wrongdoings, others by unprocessed pain and sidelined emotions. No matter the source, we are all handed a play of cards, and sometimes they are not a winning hand. So that's the beginning of this article going, you know what, You, all of us are going to experience some level of trauma, some really severe, uh, some much less severe. But all of us on some level, this author says, you're going to have wrongdoings done to you yeah, that aren't right, fair. Right. Okay, so this isn't about is our trauma our fault or fair. She's acknowledging sometimes it's your fault, but a lot of times it's unfair and you're you're the collateral damage. And so that's where she sets it up and then goes on to this. Yet what we cannot forget is that even when we are not at fault, healing in the aftermath will always fall on us. And instead of being burdened by this, we can actually see it as a rare gift. Healing is our responsibility because if it isn't, an unfair circumstance becomes an unlived life. Healing is our responsibility because unprocessed pain gets transferred to everyone around us, and we're not going to allow what someone else did to us to become what we do to those we love. Healing is our responsibility because we have this one life, this single shot 
to do something important. What do you think about this concept of healing, even when life is not fair, when trauma is not our fault, still owning the responsibility of the healing and why that's important? Well, let me let me read the rest of hers because she has a series of healing is our responsibility because mm-hmm. and I think it kind of frames her perspective and then I'll, then I'll respond. She says, healing is our responsibility because if we want to live our lives or if we want our lives to be different, sitting and waiting for someone else to make them so will not actually change them. Healing is our responsibility because we have the power to heal ourselves, even if we have previously been led to believe we don't. Healing is our responsibility because we are uncomfortable and discomfort almost always signals a place in life which we are slated to rise up and transform. Mm. Healing is our responsibility because every great person you deeply admire began with every odd against them and and learned their inner power was no match for the worst of what life could offer. Healing is our responsibility because healing is actually not returning to how and who we were before. It's becoming someone we have never been, someone stronger, wiser, more kind. And I think, mm. uh, again, I don't I don't know the faith perspective of this right. writer. That's an interesting it, point. It is devoid of um, really any sense of some partnering of the Holy Spirit or God's care for us. So I, I would be, if I were writing it, that would be at the top. That would be yeah. central to the whole premise. Uh, but there's a lot of things here that I think are pretty interesting, especially if this person is someone who's experienced trauma themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's really significant because sometimes people who haven't experienced trauma can look to people who have and said, hey, it's not fair, but it's time to buck up. Mm-hmm. And they're like, All right, well, that's obviously not helpful and that's tone deaf and in a, in a lot of ways can be the continuation of abuse. Yeah. But if she is someone who has experienced trauma, I think there can be a really helpful sort of rallying point where we say, yes, we're honest about our brokenness. Yes, there's difficulty found in the midst of all that pain. But there is also something that I think needs to be stated that we we don't live in those spaces, especially as Christ followers. We recognize the hurt and yeah. the things done to us. And yet we say God desires for us healing and wholeness. So how do we lean in to actually, you know, make that a reality. That, that I think, is kind of the million-dollar question that often kind of gets missed in this discussion. Yeah, that's powerful. I think uh, she goes on to say, uh, the thing is that when someone else does something wrong and it affects us, we often sit around waiting for them to take the pain away as though they could come along and undo what has been done. Hmm. We fail to realize that in that hurt are the most important lessons of our lives, the fertile breeding ground upon which we can start to build everything we really want. We're not meant to get through life unscathed. We're not meant to get to the finish line unscarred, clean, and bored. Life hurts us all in different ways, but it is how we respond and who we become that determines whether a trauma becomes a tragedy or the beginning of a story uh, on how the victim became the hero. I, I, I think that that is – sometimes we, we think that our lives are supposed to be unscarred, clean, bored – uh, we get to the finish line unscathed. And she's just saying, let's just start from an understanding that that's not how this is going to go. Yeah. Uh, and then we could talk about how to heal. So uh, maybe pastorally, um, what would you tell somebody who says, you know what, I don't know even how to begin this healing process. Like I buy what you're saying here, what yeah. she's saying, but I don't even know what steps I should be taking because I am burdened by this trauma, I'm not just burdened, but like controlled by it in some ways. I'm, I, I'm, I'm having trouble even getting near the, the healing process. What would you tell somebody? Yeah, I mean, trauma is really tricky because I do feel like there needs to first be an ownership that wrong was done. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think in Christian circles, sometimes we really tend to struggle to give language and space for people just to be totally and utterly broken. Like we mm-hmm. jump right to... 
I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Like we skip over the recognition, which I think one is disingenuous, lacks integrity. Yeah. Two, it sets us up to just simply not recognize trauma and heartache and pain and maybe even more aggressively abuse and exploitation yeah. when it happens. Yeah. If, if we don't give people tools and language and space to actually sit in it, then what we're teaching them is regardless of what happens – this earth is not my home. I'm going home. You know, like yeah. this sort of like escapism that I think can be helpful in the moment. And it's, you know, at a, at a micro level, you know, you have a stressful day at work. You're like, I just want to watch some dumb reality show. <laughs> I don't want to think. I don't want to read a book. I need yeah. to escape. I think in these micro expressions that can be healthy and helpful, sort of a little release valve, stressful day. I need to, but when it comes to big experiences of pain and trauma to just sort of like either stuff it down or like jump over it to victory Mm. is also unhelpful. And I think learning to recognize it and then making, being really intentional about who you invite into it is also helpful because sometimes I think people, because they don't know where else to go, they'll just post a rant on Facebook Mm. and sometimes we'll overshare in that environment. And that's not to say that there aren't beautiful, lovely people on Facebook, but I think we need to be strategic about like, okay, these are the three people that really know me and my story. I'm going to invite them into the pain and ask them to kind of walk this journey with me, which is hard because that's vulnerable. That's yeah. hard to do, you know? And I think a lot of us have a high burden for wanting things to be fair. We yeah. want things, And let's just acknowledge the fair thing when you're hurt by somebody else would be for that person to come to you and say, uh, I'm really sorry. I was wrong. Like, own it. It's just that rarely happens. And even when that does right. happen, there's still healing that needs to happen. You still need to go down that path. It's probably easier is not the right word. It's probably a lot. Uh, it's able to do it in a much more healthy way. But uh, even when that other person is not owning what they've done to you, uh, or if maybe it's not even another person, it's just a circumstance that was beyond your control. Uh, this whole process, this whole healing process, it, this is powerful. That says, uh, you know what, I'm going to take ownership of that and do the hard work. I think is a really important sentiment here. It's important, and again, just hear from us. Way easier said than done. Absolutely. Like if you're there and you've experienced trauma and heartache, abuse, exploitation, like. Please, at the very least, give yourself some grace. Absolutely. Find some people in your life that you know love you completely, that you don't have to impress or dance around. Uh, and I think that, in a lot of ways, is the beginning of healing, is surrounding yourself with the right people who will remind you of who you really are, regardless yeah. of what happens to you. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk to Grant Stenzel of Stenzel Clinical Services about his practice and the Lyft conference coming up in just a couple of days. It's an interview you're not going to want to miss. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, wherever it is you get your podcast. If that's you, a little like, subscribe, review, that all really helps us out. But uh, Brian and I mention this every time. One of our favorite parts of the show is to have in-studio guests. And right now we have none other than Grant Stenzel, who is the title sponsor of the Lyft Conference, which we are hosting, putting on this Friday, November 15th, right in Naperville, right up the road from me. So I'm excited about that. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much. Good seeing you guys. Absolutely. One of the things we've been having guests do is to introduce themselves as professionally or personally as they would like the audience to actually know. So take that for what <laughs> so it's worth. So give me zero guidance. Zero <laughs> guidance, right. Just say words in whatever direction okay. you want. <laughs> um, well, I'll just say personally, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, I came to know Christ at 18. Um, I've had up and down obviously in my walk with God. Um, I'm married. Uh, my wife Tammy and I got married actually in February. 
Right on. We have four ki- kids be- uh, between us. Mm-hmm. I actually did my son's wedding a couple months ago. Crazy. Wow. Wow. So he is married off. And then we have three uh, kids younger than that. Two are in college. My daughter is at YWAM. Oh, right wow. And she's in Hawaii right now. So when people go, I, I go, she's on mission. Oh, oh, where? Yeah, right. <laughs> she's in Hawaii. Yeah. And then people give me a look. And I'm like, but she's going to Southeast Asia, I guess, after the training. So That's then it'll wild. be more legitimate. You, you got to add that real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to stop over in Hawaii. Well, the Lyft Conference, which Gina and I will be a part of, uh, like we said, you're the title sponsor. What are you excited about about that conference? Why did you decide to, to sponsor this and be a part of it? Oh, just... Everything going on with the church yeah. and with pastors. And mm-hmm. um, I'm a former pastor. Mm-hmm. And so I just have a heart for pastors. We, as our practice, tends a clinical, uh, work with churches all the time. And I love meeting with pastors and seeing what's going on and, and helping the churches as we best we can and helping them with their heart. And I, mm. I just think a conference that's going to encourage and love and speak truth into pastors mm. is, is incredible. So maybe somebody listening is thinking, all right, I don't. I'm not a clinician. I don't have a degree in therapy or counseling. How can I serve or care for my pastor at our local expression? Like, is that a thing that you help people, help coach people to actually better care for or pray for their pastor? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How how, how would you encourage someone listening to do that? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you know, you pray for your pastor. We're we're biblically called to pray for a pastor and everything starts and ends with prayer. Mm. It's it's too bad when we always say, well, I can just pray when it's the most powerful, Mm. amazing thing we can do. Um, I think going to your pastor and literally asking, how can I pray for you? Right. Mm. Um, And being praying for them. Um, you know, when I think about, um, you guys had asked me this question earlier, so I had actually had to think about it. For yeah. <laughs> um, and I, and I, I always think everything through the gospel, mm. you know, is, is a, y- you want to know that the Lord loves your pastor and you want to do the same and you want to mm. love your pastor as God has loved you. That's right. Um, but secondly, I think it's important to know that your pastor is not perfect. Yeah. Mm. Your pastor, you know, I'm doing the second law. I was in Campus Crusade for Christ and the four <laughs> laws. Um, is that man is sinful, right? And your pastor yeah. is sinful. And it is to temper your expectations and mm. know that he is a human and know that we all struggle. Yeah. And to not put him on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things I struggled with as a pastor was people putting me on a pedestal. And, and at times it was annoying. And at times I kind of believed the press. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, I am this good. Uh, you know, and that, right. str- then I struggled with pride and that was a yeah, struggle for me right. um, of, of which I've continued to pray and work through, um, you know, knowing that Jesus died for your pastor mm-hmm. and that he is growing in his sanctification. Mm. And, and how can you listen, you know, and talk to him? And, yeah. and when you talk to him, you know, I think of James 119, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry. I, yeah. I just did a uh, James one nineteen uh, challenge on my website and my podcast. That's good. But um, is to, to go and listen and listen more and ask questions and see what's going on and be a safe, uh, strong place yeah. and a friend for a pastor. And Brian, yeah. you know, you would know. Yeah, it's lonely. Yeah, and you know, how do you uh, find friends that are safe? Find friends that you can trust. You know, and and. I would say I would kind of wrap that up with that is again, going back to is praying. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So you, uh, extensive clinical services, you licensed clinical professional counselor. And Ian and I talk a lot on this show about mental health and, and for pastors mm-hmm. and just for uh, lay people, Christians in general, um, speak to the people out there who still have that stigma that it's unchristian to go to a counselor, that they're, 
admitting some salt, sort of like uh, sin that they shouldn't be admitting or whatever else, whether it's right. a pastor uh, or the, just that church attender who's got a, kind of got that stigma around counseling. Sure, mm. sure. And, and I've seen that for years. And praise mm-hmm. God, churches are getting more and more open mm. to professional help. Right. You know, we are all Christian uh, professionally licensed therapists, mm. and we are not going to do anything that is anti-Bible. And I understand mm. the church years ago, they looked at Freud and he said some weird things and they, <laughs> and they, and they lost true. their minds. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, he said some weird things. I, I, I don't disagree that he said some weird things. However, we've gotten some great training to deal with anxiety, yeah. to deal with depression, to deal with marriage. Mm. And there's so many uh, issues that we can help with. And we have, we have over 40 therapists, each having their own specialty. We, we see kids as young as two, people up to 92. Wow. No kidding. Um, and you know what? I was a pastor, and I remember trying to counsel. And at the time, I thought I could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I look back, and I was wrong. Yeah, I, right. I, you know, there was a girl, and she had an eating disorder. And I'm sure I told her a hundred wrong things. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have sent her to a Christian counselor that new eating disorders. Yep. Yeah, you know, right. We even have a registered dietitian on staff, and we have people that specialize in that. And it's just an area of expertise. Yeah. And if you look at the body of Christ, we're not all a hand, we're not all an eye, mm-hmm. we're not all a mouth. There's a reason we have so many dif- giftedness yeah. Yeah, that's in right. the church. Mm. And that's what I would encourage the church. And, and you think about, people think about, you know, is depression mm-hmm. sin? Mm. Is anxiety sin? And um, we were talking about sabbatical, and I was looking at the Garden of Gethsemane. And, you know, it said Jesus said, you know, his soul felt sorrow to the point of death. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't sound like depression. And, yeah. and Isaiah said he was a man of sorrows. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he was familiar with suffering. Yeah, right. Not to mention Jeremiah, you know, yeah. or Job, yeah. or even King Solomon at times, or, right. you know, Paul right. himself saying, David, yeah, I'm not even sure I want to stay list. here on earth, right? Like the Bible doesn't mm-hmm. seem to feel any need to hide these stories. And yet sometimes in the church, we do exactly that. Exactly. And I'm, and I'm curious, so as someone who has both served as a pastor, which I think really uniquely wires you yeah. for this particular service, talk to me about the Lyft conference specifically. What are you excited about when it comes to this content or this gathering? And like, what are you sort of hoping will come out as a result of that? Do you know, my hope is, um, you know, as I've kind of learned both sides and I've talked to pastors is, is teaching pastors to find true accountability because mm. there's so much fear yeah, in right. being a pastor because really anyone can fire you. <laughs> it often okay. feels that I way. Mean, right? really, yeah. I mean, if you say yeah. the wrong thing, the wrong, and all of a sudden someone finds out about some secret sin, then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, my job is in, in, in trouble. Yeah. And, I, and I remember when I went on staff with, um, it was Harvest Bible Chapel at Glen Ellen at the time, and a friend and I went on staff at the same time, and mm. he had not been a pastor, and I was. And I went to him, I said, we're going to have to keep each other accountable. He's mm. like, why? I'm like, your friends aren't going to want to think that you sin. Oh, right. And he didn't believe me. Mm-hmm. And so I came back three weeks later. He goes, oh, my gosh, <laughs> these friends I've known for years and years and years don't want to know that I sin. That's yeah. right. And I said, well, guess who's your new accountability partner? That's right on, <laughs> We're man. in this together uh, with like the last two minutes or so, because I, I love that you are a counselor and a pastor mm-hmm. uh, in that. There's that person driving right now. You know, it's dark out. They're kind of down and they're like, I, I don't find much hope. I kind of want to mm-hmm. give you a chance just to speak to that person pastorally as a counselor. The person who's like, you know, I just don't see where there's hope in life. Everything's crashing down around me. Could you speak to that person specifically who might be struggling today? Oh, um, first and foremost, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure there's very valid, true reasons why you're there. You know, there'll be childhood wounds, there may be family pressures, there might be business, and this world is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but this world is not our home. Right. And our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, our statement is, is find hope, live well. And that hope is Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And as we are going to God and bring our burdens to him, we find that he can bring contentment. He can mm-hmm. bring peace. He can bring hope to any situation, regardless of whether he quote unquote fixed the situation. The situation. Yeah. Right. He can bring peace. Mm. You know, people quote um, Philippians 4.13, all 10, I can do all things <laughs> which really uh-huh. only means one thing because it's right before Paul says, I can be content. I've learned yeah. the secret to be content in any and everything. And yeah. then he goes, I've, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens yeah. me. In other words, I can be content. Mm. I can have That's peace good. through Christ who strengthens me through prayer, yeah. through scripture yeah. and especially community. You know, stop isolating. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes yeah. people who are depressed, people who are anxious are isolating. Be with your community. Go to your church. Go to your pastor. Yeah. Find someone to help. That's good. So someone listening then who's thinking, all right, so you sound like someone that actually could help. How would someone get a hold of you then? You have a website, a phone number? Sure. Your website, stenzelclinical.com. Okay. Um, if you come close to Christian counseling, we're probably up on Google somewhere. Awesome. <laughs> um, but we're in Schaumburg, Wheaton, Naperville, and Geneva. No kidding. And it's uh, 630-588-1201. That's so good. And also the title sponsor of the Lyft Conference this Friday in Naperville. If you haven't registered, I can't encourage you enough to do that. Go to 1160hope.com. It's the first image right there. You'll also see the Stenzel Clinical logo there in the corner. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. It's been great. Thank Thank you you so much. Really appreciate the work you're doing. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You might be thinking, well, the show's pretty much over, right? No, Mm-mm. it's not. That crazy music can mean only one thing. That it's not over. And it's also barely music, so maybe it means, <laughs> maybe it means two things. It is time for Interweb Insanity, the segment of the show that I'm always a little nervous about. Yes. It still gives me butterflies, though, which I guess is kind of endearing, right? So it's stories nice. that our producers have found that we have not read or seen, uh, and then associated sound effects that we have not heard. So when we stumble through the pronunciation of a name or try to get through the inappropriate nature of this story itself, that, those are all organic yes. emotions because we have no, no idea what's coming. And I like to make Brian go first because... I'm terrified. So why don't you take it away? Massachusetts. Okay. He sent a message in a bottle nine years ago from Massachusetts. He finally got a response from France. Oh, that's adorable. As a 10-year-old boy, look at that name, Max Vredenberg threw a message in a bottle into the Atlantic Ocean in 2010. His message included his home address in the hopes his message would be found. He had to wait nine years, but he finally heard back. The now 19-year-old college student from Massachusetts says he completely forgot about sending the message in a bottle until his dad sent a photo of the letter and the reply in a group text. My parents always saved things from our childhood, so I didn't think much about it, he told CNN on Monday. Then I read the letter uh, and from the recipient, and my heart just dropped. Vrendenberg wrote the original letter August 21st, 2010. He and his father threw the bottle into the ocean at Long Beach in Rockport, Massachusetts. Uh, He wanted whoever received the message to know a little bit about himself. He said, I like apples. I like the beach. My favorite color is blue. I like animals. I like cars. I like outer space. It was pretty standard kid stuff, but he was smart enough to leave his address and a plea to please write back. If I could save time in a bottle, the thing that I'd like to do. That was pretty funny. That's good. That's pretty sweet. That's that's maybe the sweetest kickoff. To Interweb and Sandy, we ever had. All right, we're going to New Jersey, Welcome. which is 
Brian, what'd you say? Welcome. Thanks so much, man. It means a lot. Wild turkeys are taking over a New Jersey neighborhood. I heard about this. My, you did? <laughs> this is in my cousin's hometown. Get out. Truth. Just weeks before Thanksgiving, wild turkeys, not the whiskey, are taking a bold stance in a New Jersey neighborhood, reportedly terrorizing humans, breaking windows, and pecking at cars. Haven't we done a story like this before? I think so. Several local media outlets have spoken to the fearful residents over... Uh, of an over 55 community in a township named, coincidentally, Tom's River. A male turkey is called a Tom. <laughs> That's funny. I can't get out of my door, one person told News 12. Sometimes I can't get out of my car. They go to attack you. The individual is not named in the story, presumably out of fear of retaliation <laughs> from the turkeys. Another local woman, Donna Scala, told a TV station uh, that they've been damaging property. They're pecking out our roofs. They're brand new vehicles. They're pecking on our vehicles. Scala wants the birds to be moved and suggests finding a big property, hundreds of acres of property, where they could roam. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Mets uh, third baseman, uh, Todd Frazier, who used to play for the White Sox, is from Tom's River, still lives there, and posted... Like this, like this is getting out of control on Twitter, and the replies were hilarious. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, California, a two-headed cat, twice as lucky to be adopted by vet. Cats are supposed to have nine lives, not two faces. That's the situation facing duo. Oh, that's funny. A San Diego cat born with one head, two mouths, two noses, and four eyes. What? Duo was born three months ago, but was rejected by her mother. Luckily, the cat mother's cat's owner was friends with a veterinarian who agreed to adopt the special needs cat and give her the necessary love and medical care. Raising Duo has been an incredibly rewarding experience and at the same time, incredibly challenging. At first, he fed Duo with a tube and a syringe, but since has learned to eat on her own. Both her mouths meow separately and both noses are fully functional. I am not an animal! I am a cat. Uh, Uh, I'm not sure how I'm feeling about that story. Can I just read another piece here? It says, each face fights to eat, and as a result, most of the food just ends up in the middle eye and on her forehead. That's why her forehead is now bald. (laughs) This is a super weird story. It is. All right, California. A woman running on trail ends up getting a bad case of eye worms. Oh, I don't even... Until this moment, I didn't know that was a thing. No. When it comes to the grossest place to get infected with parasitic worms, the eyes have it. <laughs> this is a good. This is a good segment. A Nebraska woman found out uh, after running into a swarm of flies on a trail near Camel Valley, California, in February 2018. A month later, she noticed irritation in her right eye. After some close inspection, she found a tiny, translucent roundworm, no longer than half an inch, living in her peeper. <laughs> Turns out, the flies she flew into were a type called the yep. laser. Gulosa. I played bass in Philasia Gulosa, <laughs> commonly known as the cattle eye worm, which mainly infects, well, cattle. cattle. The Nebraska Eyes. runner is believed to be only the second person to be infected by the eyebrow-raising insect, lucky for her. Back in 2016, a woman ended up with 14 eyeball worms after a fly landed on her eye while she was traveling through pastures in southern Oregon. They're eating her, and then they're going to eat me. Oh, my God! I think that's from Trolls 2. Oh, okay. Last one's out of Alaska. University accepts peanut butter and jelly as payment for parking tickets. Anyone with unpaid parking fines at the University of Alaska Anchorage campus has the option to reduce or cover the cost of tickets with peanut butter and jelly. KTUU-TV reported that the university would take donations for their annual payment tradition until November 8th to help combat student hunger. Officials say the food goes to students in need. 
University officials say each person could use PB&J payments for two citations issued within the last 45 days. They say two 16-ounce jars offer a $10 credit, three jars for $35, and five jars offer a $60 credit. But we're dealing with quarters here, not frogs or chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, this was one of my favorites so far. Well, like I say all the time, it's never a dull moment. I hope you join us tomorrow. We're talking about Jim Gaffigan. We're talking about marriages. We're talking about maybe a metal concert at a bar for Christians. That's all coming up tomorrow. Hope you join us tomorrow and every day from 4 to 6 p.m. right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.